Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. Welcome back, everybody, to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mystery. We're super excited to be recording today because the next string of games we just really enjoyed. We love playing good games. We love talking about good games. And today we have one that's going to take us down uh, a more narrative pathway. We will be talking about Puzzling Package Industries, their Runes of Odin game. And Zach, are you excited to talk about this? I'm very excited. Absolutely. And uh, I didn't even do our traditional opening. Maybe I've jinxed this whole thing. I was very scared for a little bit, but I really liked it. You want to do it just to do it, just so everybody doesn't be like, Someone says, it's Jared, or it's Zach. Hey, everybody, it's Jared. Sometimes we have to keep them on their toes. Okay, we'll come back with the the norm the next episode. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. But hang on with us. We're coming right into our first segment. Glad to have you all here. Hey, Zach. Jared, I'm not falling for this again. Oh, so what? Now you don't trust me? Correct. I don't trust you. Well, then do I have a game for you? What are you talking about? Floor 13 from CU Adventures. It's the story of a company with too much trust. But I don't trust you. Well, Zach, trust me on this. You need to head on over to cuadventures.com and play Floor 13 or their other game, The Lost Temple, and you will not be disappointed. All right, welcome back to The Puzzling Company. As we mentioned, we are talking about Puzzling Package Industries' Runes of Odin. This is actually their latest game. They have two earlier games, uh, Sins of the Father, I believe, which is something, a game that you can pick up, and a game that they no longer make, but we're actually going to hear a little, bit, a little bit more about in the interview portion of our podcast today, which is, I believe, called Nature Camp. And speaking specifically about this game, we're going to get into what we usually talk about, which is talking about what we really loved and liked about this game, and then moving into where we feel like there was some room to grow. Heck yeah. Yeah. So, Zach, kick us off. What was something that we loved about this game? Ooh, I mean, there's a lot of things I think we liked about Runes of Odin. I would say the first thing that I can think of is the physical elements. Mm. So the actual material you get when you buy this game or uh, buy the experience itself, um, a lot of the physical material, if it's paper, um, the horn that we get, which is by far one of my favorite keepsakes that we have in the office, it's all really well done. You you can definitely tell there was a uh, really good uh, notice to detail on every item, which obviously was the point. But, you know, nothing felt like you were paying for something that wasn't worth the money. To this point, this is retail-wise the most expensive game that we've played. I believe so, yes. And um, and But it definitely lived up to that. Like something that's always in the back of my mind is am I getting my money's worth for a yep. game? And at this price point, which I believe it varies, but it's somewhere usually around, I believe, like $80, mm-hmm. um, I've, I would easily buy another game at this price point from this creator um, just because everything was so realistic. It was so realistic. And that's, and that's part of what their angle is. Yes. Right? Very much so. But I agree. The horn, um, even some of the other puzzle materials, the... The rune shards. Yep. The um, I'm gonna call it the uh calendar. 
Mm-hmm. Um, just so many really cool pieces. And that's exciting because we've talked about this a little bit in other episodes, but I believe part of the experience is that first time you open up the box. Yes. And that sets a lot of expectations if you don't know about the game, have researched the game already, mm-hmm. right? That is where, in my opinion, the excitement starts. Yeah. Why is that important? It just sets the stage. I mean, I think it's always, you you don't want to open up a box, right? And you kind of have an idea in your head. And sometimes I think you're going to naturally hype yourself up to what you think is going to be inside the box, and you'll be intrigued by that. Uh, but if you open up the box, right, uh, let's just be honest. Let's say I open up and it's literally a bunch of pieces of paper. And right. That's not what I, you know, and I spent a decent amount of money and I'm I'm expecting something and I open it up and it's not that. And if your immediate tone goes, oh, then the entire rest of the game, even if it's a good experience, in the back of your head, you said, oh, at the beginning. Yes. And then for the rest of the game and the experience, it just drives you, it just, you feel off. Right. And then it, it, it's one of those unfortunate things that you'll try to, like we, I've played a few games or seen some games that I, at first I was like, oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm gonna like this. And by the end, I liked it, right? Or I really enjoyed it, but I still had that thought of, well, it's not what I wanted to start. You know, like absolutely, it just it felt it feel it makes you feel off. Well, and then and I think there's the opposite end of that, which is if you do open up a box and there are all of these wondrous wonder items and yeah. phys- and it doesn't capitalize on those things, then oh, you then yeah. you're then you're you you've opened up really high and the only way down that's that's a bad feel too yes agreed but i i would say that it did capitalize on it and moving into our second point one of the ways that i absolutely loved this game was from a narrative standpoint but specifically the way that the narrative was woven together and what i mean by that is there is what I would call a primary character or a main character in this story. Yes. But the way that the story is being told is through many different items, documents, and you cannot get the entire story from just reading one series of those things. Mm-hmm. And that was so engaging because it felt like not only were we solving puzzles to move the story forward, but we were also in charge of accurately establishing a timeline and relating to that character through these different materials. No, I very much agree with that. There is a specifically the letter part of the game. Yes. With you learning more of the action narrative. And you get to see two sides of it actually. Yes. Um, through another part of the clue. It's it's crazy how well the narrative at times makes me feel really attached to the character. Uh Jared will I remember Jared bringing it up to me at the time, but there's specifically a letter that is pretty like personal mm-hmm. that you go like, you know, that p- most people can relate to and you. Go, oh, you know, I, I get this character's like motivation and I get what he's really, you know, that what they're trying to do. And so as the game goes on, you kind of slowly grow attached to it. But then you also know the other side of the, the view where you go, Oh no, I know what's about to happen. Yes. And now I'm attached to a character yes. that potentially something could happen to. So you're like, uh, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, the the narrative weaving within specifically the letters to me, and I mean, obviously other parts of the game as well, was just so well done. Because it is a linear story. Yes. But they do a great job of not giving it to you in linear elements. Yes, you, you do not get it all at the same time. And and, and that was really good. I've, I'm a big fan of the, I'm going to call it the S project. 
mm-hmm. which is the J.J. Abrams book that came out yeah. four, four or five years ago, maybe even longer than that. But it's it, it gave me vibes of that. And while I did not enjoy the puzzling aspect of the S book, the storytelling was rich. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was here as well. And I think it shows uh, Dan Smith, uh, creator of this game, also won a Bullseye Award from Escape the Rumors this year for Best Narrative. Oh, wow. And uh, I believe that is a well-deserved and accurate award because Agreed. this was this was intentionally supposed to be a more narrative-driven experience. It was. I felt it. It is one of these. If you asked me of all of the games that I've played, I could probably tell you the most of this story. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, bring us into what we liked uh the third our third item here zach yeah so i think the third thing was like puzzle quality and and like variety so uh we covered the quality a little bit and and specifically most of the physical elements which obviously a lot of them are, are related to the the puzzles um the puzzle quality was very top notch like i said no, none of the material felt like you weren't paying for good quality yes um it was all durable nothing you know I mean, it was just all very well done. And then the variety of it was also just magnificent. Like, it never felt like I was doing the same thing over and over. I think we basically ran into every type of puzzle known to man. Yeah, there was a lot of variety in We there. had a logic puzzle. You know, we had, you know. Some physical solves. Physical solves. Mm-hmm. We had some where I had to make out different shapes with things. You know, I had to learn how to put runes in the correct places. I never felt like I was doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, and then I kind of like this too because I feel like on the website and even talking with Dan himself, he drives this home so much as a narrative experience that you're almost expecting that to be the dominant factor here. And it's not that it isn't. It shines. The narrative shines. But I was super impressed with the puzzling aspect as well. Yeah, I'm agreed. I I love physical solves. There were also well-hidden objects um not in terms of like searching but just within the materials themselves and it was just a joy agreed i mean it was very much a joy i also liked when certain puzzles can make you go back and look at old things again Mm -hmm. from a different perspective because i think sometimes is when you you do a clue right and sometimes this is just true with the game is that you'll use the material once and you're like okay i don't need this again right correct you kind of move on you move on from it one and done yeah but in this one there are and maybe I just see it this way, but there was definitely a point or two where I very much went back to the old material and I went, oh, I didn't read it this way. And this really told me an answer to insert part or like, like I said, I don't want to spoil any part of the game, but like with the logic puzzle going, oh, that's where I was like, I, yeah. I read that, but I didn't think about it at the time. And I have to now go back and look at everything and go, oh, that's what it was trying to tell me. You absolutely. Know? Absolutely. Top notch. Um, I, just to uh, entice our creator, which I'm sure it will listen, top-notch experience. I don't necessarily want to call it a game. We'll call it an experience. Yes. And that is, uh, I think that is a fair term and a highly debatable term in our industry right now because are we taking people on a story? Are we t- playing a game with them? Is this just something to experience? Mm-hmm. That's something that um, we get to dig into a little bit with Dan in our interview, so be sure to stick around for that. But I want to move into now where we felt like there was some room for improvement. And I'll kick us out here. Um, one area that we were able to get through but we felt like might be a struggle for the uh, general audience playing this game is the moving into the meta section of the game, the meta felt a little hidden uh, because 
that you had to have an aha moment about what the meta was driving you to, and then you had to solve it, which is fair, right? Part of, especially mm-hmm. in the puzzle hunt experience, you are trying to figure out what the puzzle is and then solve it. But on this one, we I feel like we spun our wheels a lot trying to get to, hey, we know we are at the finish line. What do we do? Sure. And and I think the reason that we're citing this as a room for growth is that we felt like there could be some very simple tweaks to kind of give some sign some better signposting to that. Sure. Um, and why is that important when you're finishing the game, Zach? I, it just I I mean we've had this in other games, but signposting is just really nice. It, sometimes I know people don't like the potential handholding yes elements of games. Um, but let's say it's an experience where I've gathered this bit of information, but I don't have a clear way of doing what to do with it. I, I think it leaves people at this point where they feel confused, where I'm like, okay, I, I just don't know what I'm doing now. Now, the only thing I will counter-argue a little bit, which they did do, is there is a clear hint in the original letter that yes. tells you what you are trying to do. Yes. Um, but, I mean, part of that, which this is, is that we just – it felt like that was the only hint. And I mean, that's a good hint because technically it tells you off the bat, like, Hey, this is technically what you're trying to do. But when you look at it, you're like, okay, well, I have no clue what this means yet. So you're just kind of doing everything else until you get to the end when you realize that the meta was that. Um, But it just, yeah. I mean, if you don't, I think at certain points, if you don't signpost, people just go everywhere. right? Right. Like I'll just start walking off in one direction thinking it's this. Yes. When clearly you're like, Hey, the, you're supposed to be doing this, but now I've decided to do a, uh, like a crossword puzzle grid of letters I found interesting and, yes. you know, or whatever. And I think part of it too is because for the majority of the experience, the majority of the experience is not very linear. You're given all of this wondrous stuff to go yeah. through. And then like anything at an end, your puzzling experience is going to bottleneck a little bit. Yeah. And I think it was just because we had moved and freely and then we got to this and it just felt like a sticky point mm-hmm. where okay, oh, this, this, and that. And and this could be, fairly enough, subjectively, just our experience with the game. Yeah, okay. Um, but I feel like it could be made a little more prominent, which is that mm-hmm. signposting piece again. And then the puzzle material itself doesn't need to change. The just evidence of what to do and where to go sure. could be a little more helpful. Zach, what else are we talking about in this section? Ooh, okay. This is a, I think, big thing for both of us. Yes. A lot was the ending format of the game, and specifically the narrative part of the ending. Okay. Uh, the puzzle was was good. I yes. did like the I did like the meta puzzle. Um, the issue, and like so, this is very personal. So uh, everyone listening understand that is when you complete the game, narratively it does resolve, but at first. To follow the theme, it sends you a letter that basically goes, okay, you've completed the game, but I really don't trust you or care. (laughs) And it kind of just feels like a weird ending at first. But then you get an email later. Like, we got an email like 10 hours later, right? I don't remember exactly how long. I'm just going to say 10 hours. It It was a bit after. Where it gave us the actual ending where the person, you know, who's in charge of the the group who sent us yes basically goes oh uh, you know i'm sorry i doubted y'all um thank you for everything you've done so narratively it makes sense why they do that um but the other big part of it is it just feels anticlimactic to me 
like we did resolve what happened. Like we figured out what we're looking for, all that kind of stuff. But in a game that feels so narrative rich, I guess this is my opinion. I just expected a bigger bang of an ending. Maybe yeah. not that it had to be action packed and sure there had to be this, guns going off to get the to go get the runes of Odin, you know. But I it wasn't. This isn't a Marvel movie, Zach. I, I know, but I, I I don't know. I just felt when we got that original ending email, we just both looked at each other and we went, I I don't. This can't be the end. Well, I I want to frame out the conversation a little sure. bit more. Agreed. And this is context for the narrative, which yes. again. We loved. Yes, the narrative was good. Uh, you are part of an organization that is exploring these different legendary things. Yes. So the game starts off on a very, I'm going to call it a bureaucratic note. You're part of this organization. You have a job to do. Then you dig into the past yes. where you meet our main character. And I think the writing and just the exploration really delves you into more of a personal note with the context of, in, in this whole thing that you are searching for some like legendary thing. Yes. Right? Like this is like seven wonders of the world. Like you're trying to find something that has major historical and magical and huge implications. Yes. So then in the meat of the story, the part that we love so much, we are journeying. I was on a journey with this main character and it was personal. And I honestly totally forgot that we were part of this organization. Yeah. Right. It felt like you and me were really digging into this and, and, and understanding it. And then I think what was hard is then when the story finished, we were back on that organizational bureaucratic level. Um, whereas more than any other game that I have played before, I felt a personal connection to the main character. Yeah. And that, and again, that could just be me. And, it, and, and this may be a little personal, but I, I believe in getting to know each other through the means, the podcast and this, the main character, as far as we know, is, has a very strong relationship with their mom. Mm-hmm. And I do that too. My my dad passed away when I was 14 years old. He had cancer. Mm-hmm. And as a result, of course, I have a very strong relationship with my mom. And I was kind of replaying that story as I was reading the notes back and forth between the main character and his mom. Yeah. And I was, I was emotionally invested in that character. Yeah. So that when we got to the end and we had more of a organizational and less of a personal ending with, again, the context of, hey, this is some legendary thing that we're seeking and this is the ending that we got. It wasn't It wasn't where I wanted the story to end. Yeah, I could definitely agree with that. It just, yeah, it felt like a, a snapback to reality. Yes. Almost where you've just dove like head in, like, you know, you dived into the, the experience overall in the narrative. And then it goes, hey, uh, now back out of it. You are now back to the normal person you were when you started this uh, yes. investigation. And I mean, like I said, it made sense. That was a big thing I tried to make clear to myself when I like when I originally saw the ending and the second part of the ending was I went, okay, narratively, this makes sense. It didn't feel like this was just a thrown out of nowhere yes. like, curve or it's, like. It's not. I want to clarify. This is not a bad ending to no. a game. It's just that where we personally were when we played this game we wanted something that either wrapped up the personal component of the story or the 
contextual legendary size Agreed. of what we were searching for. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. It felt a little bit, it didn't end where we personally and subjectively wanted it to go. Yeah. And that, and that's hard because right, you're not going to please everybody. Oh, agreed. In yeah. a story. But we felt like there was room to end that, to further wrap up the narrative of the main character or really dig into the fact that you've accomplished something great. Yeah. Yeah. That's all we're saying. The third thing is, and this may neither be here nor there in the room for growth or, uh, really great about the game, but we definitely recommend that this is not a game for new players. Yeah. This, this is a great game for someone who is mildly seasoned to very seasoned in these games. Um, because it does draw on a lot of things that you need to have experience with in order to enjoy what we think are very well done, highly sophisticated puzzles. Yes. Uh, so uh, and we and we actually in our interview we, we did not record this part, but we talked to Dan about this, and we said we think you have home run products, but we would love to see a, a game that is aimed at new players. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll hear a little bit more about that in the interview. Um, but again, this is a great game for someone that loves puzzles, loves puzzle games. And again, I don't think we can reiterate enough how much we enjoyed this game and really. It, it's some. I think it's a game that will narratively stay with us. It's a very rich narrative. Yeah. Yeah. So I I, I would recommend it. We think it's a great game. You guys should definitely Agreed. definitely check this one out. But that's going to wrap us up for our first section. Hang around with us for puzzles to the people. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for puzzles to the people. Zach, you never responded to my email about the rally next week. The rally. Yeah, dude, they're trying to tear down the old tree off of Maine. That's a bat-coon habitat. I think you mean raccoon. <laughs> Zach, next thing you know, you'll be calling swargators alligators. Swargators? Bat-coons? Jared, what are you talking about? Dude, everyone knows that the American Society for the Protection of Magical Creatures spends countless hours trying to preserve the habitat of these magical and magnificent creatures. Do you want your kids growing up in a world where there's no lobguins? Do I? Well, that's a fair question. Lobguins are actually very temperamental creatures, but sometimes I can do without them. But what everyone should do is head over to theaspmc.org, that's T-H-E-A-S-P-M-C.org, and sign up to help their investigations. Only you can prevent the extinction of these magical creatures. Welcome back to Puzzles of the People. In this segment, me and Jared are kind of going to discuss things that he's going to give to me. Uh, traditionally, it has been either reviews or things that we get from our website, Um but Jared likes to spice it up a good bit of the time. Love to keep it spicy. Yes. Um, so I'm very intrigued to see what he's going to do to me today. Um, please help me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this is just a kind of part where he's going to present something to me. I'm going to respond to it first. And then basically it's a discussion or a like debate almost sometimes of do we agree or disagree with the statement? So I went a little bit different route for today. In the Oh, shocker. I know in the past we have done reviews from reviewers, uh, Amazon reviews, what was in our last episode, and or sometimes we just ask for feedback from our community. But I wanted to take a different pivot on this part of the episode because we have not, in my opinion, covered enough games that are more primarily narrative than they are puzzle. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we always ask our reviewers to do is tell us, does this game feel more puzzly or feel more narrative? Not that one is better than the other, right? That is a 
that there's not a better or worse there. Um, but we fully recognize that this is more of a narrative rich experience. And I think that's the minority of games that are out there in our world right now. Um, and for better or worse, and we're not here to make a value judgment on that. But what I've done is I've crafted five questions to talk about narratives in our games because I think they're important. I think that is a driving force in our games. We talked about that a little bit two episodes ago when we sat down with David and Lisa from Room Escape Artists, and I want to dig into that. And I think that's especially important today because that's a little bit of an area of expertise for Zach. Zach loves narrative in games. Uh, I have received hour-long, uh, I'm going to call them uh, master classes on why some of the Marvel movies <laughs> are way better than the other in terms of narrative form. Uh, I enjoy lunches where we sit down and we dig into the World of Warcraft lore. Oh God, <laughs> that's a long, that's a long, long discussion. But it's but it's always engaging because I feel like you do a really good job of soaking in what are the key elements of a good narrative and what makes it exciting. Mm. So I feel like you're uniquely qualified to handle these questions. Oh jeez. Uh, so uh, let let's dive in. Question number one is. A narrative is an essential part of the at-home puzzle and mystery space. Agree or disagree? Oh, this is hard. Actually, this is I feel like most of these questions are going to be kind of difficult. They are. This least. is this is going to dig into some touch points. Okay. I'm going to say a narrative in any form is a central part of an at-home puzzle or mystery experience. Uh the reason I say that is no matter the game we've played, the narrative does set a tone of how the game is going to play and very much generally also is driven or uh woven into the puzzles yes so that it feels more narrative based at times but also gives you more context of why you're doing the things right let's let's go in opposite direction right let's say i'm doing a puzzle hunt okay now a puzzle hunt generally the narrative is minimal to none yes in the ones i've played sure don't get me wrong there are there are some that are more, more narrative based more narrative based Correct. but generally it's not a huge requirement of the genre. Correct. Um, yeah. So like in those, you expect that. And I think in most games that I've seen in the uh, at-home puzzle and mystery space, they are all generally based around a theme, right? You get a box and it's, you know, if it's if it's Runes of Odin or if it's, you know, Root of All Evil, the moment you see the name and the thematic picture they use on their website or how they describe it instantly sets a tone and I think the narrative lets you get more involved with it mm. at times. Because the moment you don't do that and you go, hey, here's a box, open it, and just do puzzles. I mean, I'll still enjoy it because there'll be puzzles. But it give, doesn't give me uh, connections or the context of how and why I'm doing these things. And I think that sometimes can be frustrating when you just don't know why I'm doing this. I think that's fair. Because there are... Don't get me wrong. I love doing a puzzle just for the sake of a puzzle. Agreed. Um, but there is something more engaging and worthwhile about that puzzle being properly placed in a narrative. Agreed. It is – I just think it's innate to humanity to, one, be a part of a larger narrative, and two, to create a narrative. And so when we see that in something that we're doing more recreationally, it feels natural. Yes. It feels at home. It feels purposeful. Mm -hmm. And I agree. It shapes out 
what we're doing and and where we're going in in an experience. And it can be a frustration, right? Because when you're in just a puzzle game, if you're just doing a Sudoku or just doing a crossword, all that you have to judge it against is, well, does it make sense? Agreed. Does the puzzle mechanic work? Is the puzzle answer accurate? So forth and so on. But then when you layer in a narrative, you have that previous section of, is it accurate? Is it a good puzzle in there? But also, does the narrative make sense? You're mm-hmm. you're taking more of a risk with it. But I, I do think it is essential. It is it is where you are mapping out the trajectory of your game and why. Yeah. All right. Question number two. The best narratives, and I mean this in the context of the games and experiences that we are playing, are complex. Ooh. Okay. This is actually a very Jared knows this. This is a very hot topic for me. I am gonna disagree with that statement. Oh, okay. I think the best narratives for and I'm I'm are we and I assume this question obviously for the, is mostly for our at home puzzle mystery space specifically. Yes. Um I, I think simple is better than complex. So here here's why. I think and don't get me wrong, I'm not the greatest expert, so please don't roast me for my opinion. Uh but I think the best games are the ones that can relate to the most people. And I don't mean that in terms of like, okay, your person you are in place that everyone knows of go. Yes. But what I mean is you give a simple narrative that goes, Hey, and I'm going to praise this game. We've already praised on another episode, but I'm going to do flashback. He goes, Hey, you're this character. This is the other character. You're trying to save her friend. It gives a very simple story where it goes, I need to do the following things. Mm -hmm. He goes, Hey, they're best friends. This is, we're going to go, we're going to go back in time. You're going to see how they grew up. And Everyone can relate to that. You you get that. There's no questioning that that narrative or trying to figure out where you place yourself in it. You could see yourself in any spot of it. Yes. And relate it to anything. That's the crazier part with some narratives is that it's simple, but it gives room for you to think. And you can change if it's, you know, in that game, it's the werewolf antidote. But, you know, what if it's growing up? What, it, you know, I that's the thing I find really interesting with narratives is when you can put yourself in there. And you can change an aspect and relate it more to yourself than ever. And sometimes that's part like that's their they do that on purpose, and sometimes it's not. Right. Sometimes I thought you do that. Yes. I think that's a cool part that the human you know brain does. You just think that way. Um, but I've just noticed in the games we've played, the games that try to make their story overly complex. Uh, and I will say this: this game does have a little bit more of a complex narrative, to say the least. It is very narrative based, but it does it really well. I agree. So, hi. I mean, obviously, we praised it earlier, but please know that I'm not saying this game's narrative is bad. Right. It is very, very, very good. Um, but if you ask me overall, some of the games I've played, you know, that we've talked about are and not, I felt like the narrative was solid, but at points it just felt like, why would you need it to be this way? Yeah. Why is it complex for no reason? Because it didn't matter at the end. Sure. You know, where I'm like. Uh, this story is about, um, and we'll talk about this on, on a on another show, hopefully very soon. You know, like Hinks Gazette and like Elevator and Stairs. We played Elevator, but like very simple story too. There, where it's like, okay, it gives you the very basic story, and it goes, have fun with it, and then you you do. You you, do. There's no yeah. questioning it, and I think that. Yeah, I've gone on long enough, but yeah, <laughs> I, I would say simple narratives I think are better than complex. 
I I hearken back to the conversations that we have is give me something simple or give me something complex, but you better do it well. Agre- yeah, that's also a great, yeah. a great uh, standpoint. And I think there is just a temptation in our space because it's mysterious and cryptic mm-hmm. to want to develop something that is as complex as the puzzles that we are putting out there, right? It's, it's all of these historical stories about like uh, the Enigma machine mm-hmm. or, or spies and, and, and then this person betrayed this person and now we're betrayed again. And, and it is, it is hard then to keep up with those things. Cause I want to end a game with a narrative that is wrapped up and enjoyable with puzzles that I felt like I've enjoyed solving along the way. Mm-hmm. And if that is done complexly, great, do it complexly. I have not, to this point in the years that we've been doing this, really felt a whole lot of resonation with those stories that have tried to be super complex. Um, I mostly remember the simple ones. Mm-hmm. And that has come from, I, w- I want to make this clear, a variety of different sources. There are mass market games that we have played that uh, I can I can still tell you the story, like uh, one of the unlocks the, the the epic adventure unlock story that we played the the seven uh, the the seven ways it, it it had kind of that Japanese you tell me like the seven trials of the dragon or yes whatever? yes yeah. I, I don't think it's the title but it's something like it's, that it was it was one of those games I feel like I could still tell you that story it was good it was good we thoroughly enjoyed it they, it, it played out very super well and. Just tell us a good story well and use your elements correctly is, 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 is the thing that I would say. So I don't think the best narratives are always complex. I think some of the ones that stick with me more are simple. But that doesn't mean that there's not room for people to go out and tell complex stories really, really well. Because mm-hmm. I think it can be very difficult to tell a simple story very well. Oh, agreed. I, I, Jared said it best. I think it's you need to go big or go home and at either way. It's not a – you can't – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it this way. Half-ass. Yes. Either, either one, to be honest. I think you go full, and I mean, don't mean this like it should be very simple, but like, hey, you just got to make the simple really, really good or don't do it at all, or you go really rich and complex, but you have to also do it extremely well. Sure. Because the moment it's not, I, I instantly drop any, because I think it's the hard part too, is sometimes when the narrative, I don't, I don't grab onto it, it almost instantly makes me lose attention to the game. I go, oh, okay, like... Or when they change something, I go, oh, okay, like that didn't – for me, like I said, narrative is important. So the moment that it makes me drop out of it and go, oh, like I'm not in – I don't almost get immersed in it, I go, oh, okay. Yeah, and, and, and the other section of this is uh, I think simple narratives have more appeal, kind of you said, like mass appeal for a broader audience. Yes. Which is, again, something we're always trying to do and always trying to reach. Because mm-hmm. um, there are complex – like let's talk about movies. There are complex movies that I absolutely adore, but are those the ones that necessarily get to reach and touch the most people? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean you should always try to reach a mass audience. I understand sometimes we're trying to reach a specific audience, but um, I don't – and this is the last thing I want to say. I'm going to move on to a next. the next question is – I don't think a simple narrative done to the best of its ability is any better than a complex narrative done to the best of its ability. Mm-hmm. Both are good. Both are have it place. Um, but let's do them all well. Agreed. Yep. All right. Question number three. Narratives in the at-home and mystery world need a big finish or a big surprise. Obviously, this is all personal opinion. I hard agree with that. 
Ooh, really? I I was expecting you to go a different way here. Really? Yeah. I, so my big thing with narratives in the at-home puzzle or mystery, I, I, I've talked about this specifically with Jared a little bit recently, is my comparison to these, right, because I'm still newish in the space. Now, I've been doing these for a, a year, probably, right? Um, but is I'm used to, and like I said, these are different things, but like let's say an escape room experience. They are able to give you that physical space of a big bang at the end. That is sure. the goal generally, is that you do something, you do the adventure of the game, and then the ending is big. It's like an exciting exit. Yes. Yes. Now, in the at-home like puzzle and mystery space, it is harder to achieve this. There have been many games I've played where we beat it and I enjoyed the game, but I went, uh, in my head, I imagined so many different ways that they maybe could have done it that made me felt bigger. And this is the hard part, right? And, and the, we're, we're saying this just from a narrative experience. Correct. Not, we're not talking puzzles. No, anything. no, we're, just we're narrative. Just narrative. Is I, sometimes I wish, and this is the hard part, right? It's what people are able to do. So I'm not saying it against the creators. Like what they did was was well done, you know. But obviously, imagination could be up to anyone. But sure. I'm, you know, let's say it ends with a letter that tells me what happened, right? You know, in my head, I'm like, oh, you should make a a small video that makes you know. And obviously, that depending on what it is is obviously out of proportion, you know. And I'm not trying to say everyone should spend millions of dollars to make the ending <laughs> fantastic, but it's just like sometimes we play games and it ends, and I go. Okay, like it was good, but my we talked about this actually in um, our interview with Room Escape Artists is sometimes the ending, if the ending isn't big to me or feels fully complete to where I had an enjoyable time the entire time and including the narrative's ending, the last thing I remember is getting rid of the game or putting it up. Mm. And that's a sad feeling when that's my last thought of a game narratively is when, oh, it was fun, um, but now I like put it up, you know, and I could tell you maybe a little bit that that's it. Yes. Well, some other games we've had, I'm like, Oh, you know, in this one, we did this and we're helping this character and we did this and the ending involves this really cool item and we saved the person. Hooray. You know? And I, and I, I think about that fully and some of them, I, I don't feel that way at the end. I just go, Oh, I thought about the first 75% of the experience and right. didn't remember the ending that well. I'm torn on this question. Oh, okay. I, I, I honestly thought you were going to go a different way. But it's hard because part of the space that we cover is, and we're going to be digging into this more in the next couple of months, is kind of this true crime Mm -hmm. uh, mystery part of the world, right? Which is you read mystery books to either figure it out or to enjoy every twist and turn and big surprise and big reveal. And I feel like there's more pressure on those games, but then when you go into more of just kind of our uh, fun, happy-go-lucky games. Uh, I don't know that there needs to be a big finish because here's where I struggle. I think a game can end triumphantly on a puzzly note. Agree. And I feel good. But if you're trying to end it on a narrative note, like if we solve a puzzle and then post that, you have follow-up narrative, then yes, I feel like sometimes I wish there would have been more. Yeah. More going on a big finish but yes, I think something we all need to to think about, whether we're creators or just working on any project, is how is this going to end? Yeah. What and, and what do I want my players either thinking, feeling, or doing when they set down my game? Because 
one of the, I think everybody's favorite things about playing an escape room or playing a game is debriefing it. Yeah. And if there is not something strong, I don't think it has to be maybe a big finish or a big surprise, but something strong to finish on, then I, I would just, I, I don't want to play a game that I'm like, oh, that was good. Yeah, no, I, I agree. That was fun, I guess. My other thing I think of when you said like it has to have a puzzle finish, and this is a very weird analogy or a like reference to something else, is I go, you know, like when you watch movies or shows that involve like a bomb diffusing scenario? Sure. Now, the journey is them trying to diffuse the bomb, but narratively, obviously, it ends, let's say, with the bomb being diffused. That's the narrative. It goes, okay, you diffused it. But it's the celebration of doing the puzzle where everyone freaks out, right? So that we've played games like that where we solve the final puzzle, and there's not a crazy narrative. Like, the narrative just goes, you did it, yes. basically. Yes. But the puzzle was so well done that you go, yes, I'm screaming it. You know, we're running around the office. Um, I'm, I'm doing Fortnite dances in the corner, you know, whatever. Um, but you know, like that can be a good, like, like you said, it just needs to end strong. I think at times, yeah. no matter if it's a narrative or puzzle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I get, definitely get where you're coming from. I think some games can end on a more simple note. It doesn't have to be the, the biggest bang. If it's like a, a simple, very simple story, then you go, but then a, a bomber came in and you, now you have to shoot it down with your, your anti-aircraft gun. You know, like randomly in the middle of this, uh, you need to find a cat you yes. know, story or whatever. Yeah, I think just tying tying it up well is is really strategic. Yes, and requires a lot of thought because it, it right now, and I and I feel this way. Creating escape rooms is oh, it's a it's a necessity, but I really don't take it as an opportunity to do it well. I feel like I have in a couple of games, but sometimes it's like oh, we just need to put a bow on this and be done with it. Whereas I think that that ending moment doesn't need to be the best puzzle or the best part of the narrative, but it needs to finish strong and leave your customers, your players, whoever, saying, I can't wait to talk about this with somebody, mm-hmm. to have a conversation with this about somebody, to to compare notes and this and that. And I think that you need a justifiably good ending. Agreed. Question four. Ooh, this is a fun one. I like this question a lot. Writing does a better job of telling the story than the puzzles. And I'll also insert any other narrative element. So if you're um, a video, an audio uh, type of thing that doesn't contain a puzzle, does that do a better job of telling the story than puzzles in the type of games that we review? That's a great question. I think this is very much a depends on the game. But if you're asking me in general, I actually think puzzles do a better job of telling the story in most games that we've played than the actual writing. Okay. So, I mean, we've played a lot of games where the narrative is somewhat like it it makes sense to an degree, but I'm always missing a detail or it just feels like, okay, like I get what they're trying to do. But then the puzzle actually gives me the answer or it made more sense when I actually did it. And I go, oh, that's what they meant. You know, and I think sometimes the narrative is well done, but the the puzzles can almost polish it, mm. depending on the creator. Sure. Um, I mean, we've played a few games where I felt like, and I'm gonna, and this is not a diss in, in any means, shape, or form, but like one of the interesting things I find is like with Scarlet Envelopes is that the narrative is solid, and I get it, 
but I'm always missing a detail. Or sometimes I have it at the beginning because it is kind of like a crime solver, mm-hmm. right? A is couple a, of them have been. Correct. Yes. And the one I'm thinking of in my head for this example is a crime solver. Yes. But it goes, okay, I, like the point is that I'm not supposed to know the whole narrative. But at times the puzzles almost give me more info than the actual story did, which is mm-hmm. what I like because it makes me really work on them and sure. notice those details where I go. Or else you're not going to get the full narrative. Correct. Yes. And I think then at times when you write it out to me, I'm like, okay, you know, but then I do a puzzle and the puzzle's not really narratively involved. Then I'm like, I mean, that's fine to an extent, but I'm like, you could have woven that into that puzzle. And that would have been sick learning that detail through that. Yes. Um, and, and I think Scarlet Envelope, specifically in my example, does that well. Where there are definitely puzzles that really feed into the narrative almost better than sometimes the just the narrative or the writing itself does. And that's a big compliment. Like I said, I don't mean any of that as a diss. I, I very much like how they did that. And I mean, we've done that with other games. And, and specifically, in obviously, the game we're talking about, Runes of Odin, there are many times that I think the narrative is driven through the puzzles specifically with the different runes like you yes. get a lot of narrative in the letters that tells you what you're trying to do but when i when i build out my like i put down all my runes and i make the chart and i and i like look at my horn the horn i have and it gives me an example of what i'm trying to do it felt awesome when i made that narrative connection yes um but yeah i i i would say that i think puzzles do it better than writing it's i it's so hard because I'll I'll go into what I'm playing in my personal playing time. Okay. So the the other night I just started playing a uh, a video game called uh, Ori and the Blind Forest. Very good game. Very very good game. Highly critical game. I recommend this. And there are obviously puzzles. There are mechanical puzzles, and then there's this rich storyline running through it, and. I think it is the job of the creator to make me forget what I'm, what, what, which is which. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and, and I, I got a taste of that in the couple hours of that game that I dove into the other night. That beginning. Uh, it, it, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I love that game. Very, very, very critically acclaimed. Very much to play it. But no, I definitely get where you're coming from. It's definitely a thing that. If you can make me be so immersed that I forget what I'm actually doing and thinking that I'm doing a puzzle or reading a narrative, yeah, it they they win, they both sure. win, and that's that's a that's obviously but huge. It, but it's hard because I, I think no matter what you're playing, whether you're playing uh, an escape room, whether you're playing a video game, whether you're playing a tabletop at home experience, it feels like there are times where hey, we need to take a puzzle break to more thoroughly tell this story. Agreed, and then sometimes we're going to do that. But what's hard is when it's very obvious or when it's very, oh, like you've just told me like 30 minutes worth of story. Like I, 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 I want interaction. Yes. So I think there is a balance there of the amount of what you're giving and when you're giving it throughout the story that good puzzle makers and good creators know okay, a, a dash of writing here followed up by a strong puzzle. And that's what everybody is trying to figure out in their own style is what is our formula for that? Yeah. And how do we put that into an overall experience for our customers? Because I think it is purely the decisions that you make as a creator that determines whether writing does a better job. I think yeah. there are some instances where the the puzzle was too complex. And I'm not talking about Runes of Odin. But mm-hmm. in, in different experiences where it was like, 
oh, I wish you would have just told me that flat out because. You, oh, I get that. But yeah. but then other times where it's like, that, that was just a lot of story and I needed some interaction right there. Yeah. So I think the name of the game for this question that we're asking is you, the timing and the process of how you're completing and, mm-hmm. and meeting the objective of the story. Agreed. It's hard. It, and I think that is where really great creators shine and where you can see a little bit more of the the newness of new creators is playing around with that formula of puzzling through traditional narrative methods or, or I'm sorry, narrative through traditional narrative methods or narrative through the puzzles. Yeah. I, and I, I'm going to make one last like example for me of how I think this is done well in other mediums is um and this might be off so you can very much tell me if i'm off by this example but this is how i think um i'm going to talk about world of warcraft because it's something i can very easily talk about sure so obviously there is a very rich narrative if you like it or not throughout the entire 15 or it's like 16 17 years and this game has been going on for what 16 years 16 15, years 16, yeah. yeah it might actually be 17 this year but very very successful franchise yes but it, what i'm trying to say is that the games format or most video games is that you get narrative and then it gives you interaction where you are doing the if you're doing quests or if you're on the adventure if you're orient you know in the blind forest you get a narrative part and then you get to do some puzzles yeah. or like you have to climb around and do other things and then it goes back and then it goes next, but it does a good job of what, like weaving in between each other where it feels good, where you go, okay, this gives me a time to take a break where yes. I don't have to interact with things. But now, now I get a part where I'm interacting with everything while the story's still going and sort of as I do a whole quest line or like when I get finally get to the raid or the dungeon and it's set up this villain that I need to defeat. And they've done such a good job through the story and other elements that by the time I get to them, I go, okay. I want them dead, right? <laughs> You're feeling it. I, I want to feel that when I get to them or when I'm fighting them. I want the narrative because I think that's one of the coolest things sometimes in, in that in that game to me is when the narrative is woven into the actual fight. So you you fight him and he's he's taunting you or they are, they're taunting you the entire time, calling you a, a mere mortal as they rain down blades from the heavens or what <laughs> you know whatever, right? I'm going crazy into it. But it's so cool when they can tell their narrative while doing that, because I just feel so involved. And I mean, I'm literally in it. So then by that time I'm like, Oh, I'm, I mean, that's why I love about it. I can very much deep dive into it and feel that I'm fully in it. It's great. Final question. All right, let's hear it. More narrative in games are the future of the industry. So what I'm saying is, is the future of our industry going to be more narratively driven than it already is? Ooh, I, that's, that's a hard question because here's, here's where I'm coming from on this question. I'll frame frame it out a little bit more. Uh, when a lot of the discussion in escape room communities right now is they would say, yes, Mm -hmm. that there is more room to do more narrative in these hour, hour and a half, two hour long games. Mm -hmm. But that's hard for escape rooms because you do have a limited time frame. Yes. In the at home puzzle in mystery world, yeah, all the time. One, that's one of our advantages yeah, is we time. have time to tell a more full story. Agreed. So my question is, should we dig in more to narrative, drive narrative more? Should it be more front and center in a lot of these experiences that have at least some narrative as a part of them? That's really hard. I, I'm going to say I generally agree with the statement. 
if you look at most of the games that are coming out actually here in the next couple months, there are a lot of narrative rich yes, games. Absolutely. Where that is the not saying that it's supposed to be the forefront, but I mean, it is the driving point of why they're selling is that it's narrative is rich or it, it looks so enticing to get, you know, if that's Spectre and Vox, you know, or if that's uh, Mother Frankenstein, Mother Frankenstein yep. if it's any of those types of games where a lot of the games I'm looking at that are coming out soon are that they're very much like, you know, driving home the narrative is king in it um yeah i mean i think in general in any simple or complex way i think narratives are gonna be the future and i think that's the interesting part i've been finding when we've been researching creators and when we talk to creators is people finding their formula and what they like to talk about because you can very much tell certain people uh, make games that are very more dark themed. And some are okay. not and that's okay well that, i mean that's totally fine that's their vibe yeah but that's cool because it offers you can almost find anything you want. Yeah, it's diverse. Which is great. If I want to play a game that's more emotionally, like, you know, or a more emotional game that's more, like, personal, I could probably find it, right? And in, in most games, or I can find a game that I just want to relax and have a good time and not think, like, a more happy theme where there's no, like, consequences, it feels like, if yes. you fail. You know, or a game where, you know, it's a I'm crime solver and I'm trying to be the detective. Anything you want, you can find. And I think that is the most appealing part to this space is that it's all up to your imagination what you want to create at any time so i bet yeah in the part of the narrative i think it is going to be more the future of the industry yeah it very much will be i think there's three different aspects to this okay and i think we see the first one i'll say is theming Mm -hmm. i think we've seen a lot of theming in games yes um and i readily recognize that that is different than telling a comprehensive narrative um, so I think we've done a great job of throwing themes out there. Um, I think we're doing a okay job of telling stories. But I think the the one thing, and this rolls along with the narrative, is I think we have a lot more room um, and where the future is is in world building. And what I mean by that is creating new ones. Uh, well, we've seen some of this lately. But most of the stuff that we play is is grounded in uh, in in the real world, right? Um, a lot of the true crime stuff that we play and will play is um, a lot of the games that we do are stuff that's happened. It's historical. Um, I wanna I wanna see narratives and worlds that have yet to exist. Um, like like you brought up World of Warcraft. That wasn't a world that ever existed. You know, the magical land of Azeroth and beyond is out of somebody's imagination. And I want to see and would love to play more of that where somebody is not only creating a story for me, but creating a world, creating a universe that we are going into. And then not only am I maybe discovering something fresh narrative, but I'm discovering a new environment, a new creature. There, I feel like there's still so – we are such an imaginative group, and I think we're still just scratching the surface. I think we have so many cool things away. But I do believe – I'm going to agree with the core premise of that is, yes, the future of our industry will come through our ability to tell different types of stories because the other end of that is I I think discovering new core puzzle concepts is not as prevalent or will be as prevalent. I don't think somebody's going to discover or create a whole new puzzle type that will revolutionize the at-home puzzle mystery world. I think the more that we continue to tell stories, create worlds, tell new stories – that will be the future of our industry. And you you said this a little. 
it, delving into the world of maybe telling stories that are uncomfortable or real. And I understand that a lot of pe- reasons why people play these games is as maybe to an escape factor, but that doesn't mean that there can't be avenues to where we are telling stories that really make us feel something real, like this, like the game that we're talking about today. I, I this is the first game that I played where I I had a, a true emotional moment during the game, and I don't resent the game for that at all. Like it 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 made me think it made me feel as a human. And I can only thank Dan for that, whether it was intending to do that or not. Um, I think connecting to the human experience in really cool narrative and world building ways is the future of our industry. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up for puzzles to the people hang around. We've got questions for creators coming up next. There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is questions for creators. Hey, Zach. What? You want to go to the circus? Jared, you know I'm afraid of circuses. I'm really freaked out by large tents. Okay, thought you were going a different direction there, but I'm actually talking about the Bewitched Circus. It's a really great online game from Society of Curiosities. Wait, online? I think I can handle that. Well, that's good because after that, I'm planning on signing up for their monthly mystery in a box called Maddox Lost Treasure. Why would you do that? You know I have a severe anxiety about opening wax-sealed cryptic notes. Dude, you worry about the weirdest things. Regardless, after this podcast, you should head over to societyofcuriosities.com and check out all of their games. All right, welcome back, everybody. This is our question for creators segment. Today, we are sitting down with Dan Smith with Puzzling Package Industries. Before we get into this, I want to say I really like Dan. Uh, Dan's cool. He is uh, he's a thinker. Yes. And I like that a lot, and I think that shows in his experiences. Uh, I told him during one of our side conversations that we didn't record that if, if I had a, uh, a puzzling university that I would have Dan teach philosophy Hmm. Uh, and we had a good chuckle about that. But that that's the kind of thoughtfulness that I really appreciate in a game designer and a game creator. And I'm sure that we'll have Dan back on many times to talk about that because he really is a good storyteller. And as you'll hear, that was not something that he has uh, uh, studied or trained in, in any mm-hmm. way, shape, or form. But I'm going to let him do most of the talking, and we're going to hop right into that. Tell us your name and what you were doing before Puzzling Package Industries. So my name is Dan Smith. Um, I was uh, an actor and theatrical producer in New York uh, for quite a while um, and moved out to L.A. for a bit and became a little disenfranchised with the industry. Um, I'm not super excited about getting into that more, but there's just a lot of folks that aren't excited about having fun and doing well together. And so I just wasn't excited about that anymore. Uh, When I moved up to Portland, um, I began managing an escape room uh, and then became one of the designers and worked with them for four years. Um, COVID hit, obviously a lot of things changed. During the time that I was uh, working in the escape room, I uh, started toying with the idea of PPI. Um, I've also done some uh, D&D modules and like just a bunch of other goofy stuff. 
How did your company come into existence? What inspired it? So the the idea was I got a I got a package from another company, uh, and this was four years ago. I got a maybe three. I got a package from another company, and uh, as a gift, um, and it was cool and it was exciting and. I kept waiting for the journey to kick off and it didn't. And then it ended and I went, Oh, was that it? Okay. Okay, cool. Like this thing that I have is cool. Like that there were, there were feelings, right. And emotions and, and, um, excitement and, uh, the unknown and that kind of, of, a vibe, you know, uh, escape rooms are a really good example. You walk in and you don't know what you're going to get or a new door opens. And, and so now you have this new opportunity. So a new letter would arrive or a new, whatever. And it was, it was a really positive feeling. Um, and I felt that the game that I got, uh, was, was lacking in a couple areas. And so I wanted to see if I could make a game that solved those problems. So I started with like, I had like a grand lying around. So I put together some stuff and we're now on several different iterations. And the, after having toyed with some things, uh, we've canceled some games and we've brought some other ones in. Um, so it's, it kind of started out as a, as a hobby and a personal challenge. And now it's turned into this thing that a lot of folks are really excited about. So it's not a full-time thing for me. Um, but it's, a, it's a really exciting thing. The things that I felt that the, what I received was lacking and I'm not going, I won't tell you what it was, but so a, a fleshed out story that, told a complete story is, is what I mean. So maybe not, uh, it, it wasn't novella sized and I don't think that it, it needed to be, but there were a couple connectors that were missing, um, to really get me excited about it. And I didn't have a sense of, Oh, I would like more of this. It was, Oh, I would like some of this. Right. I got bullet points and what I needed were was paragraphs. Um, there weren't any puzzles in the thing that I got. And so this was a time before sort of the boom for this industry happened, like the, that first initial boom. Um, and obviously with COVID, a lot of people are, are, are getting into it. Uh, and there's some really exciting uh, innovations happening. But so I was like, there should be some puzzles that's not decoding or, or deciphering only. Um, I know that there, that's a pretty divisive topic and I don't think there's, there's a problem with it, but I don't want to do just that. Um, and then the thing that I liked most about what I received was there was a cool artifact, something to put on my mantle or memory. I personally don't keep photographs but I have items of things like there's a wooden nickel from the bar I went to in college that I still have because I think that items have tangible energy and memory and, and, um, 
you get you get a haptic feedback memory by interacting with these things. So my shelves look like trophy. It looks like a trophy room, but of like crazy stuff. So like, I'm uh, let's see what I'm looking at right now. I have a, a mug from a, a date that I went on. There's a, a powder horn from a, um, uh, like a colonial Williamsburg type place that we went to, right? Things like that. That's from, from, uh, Mexico that I bought at the gift shop, but it reminds me of being at the ruins. Like that kind of stuff is really exciting to me. So I wanted to make sure that those three things, a fleshed out story, some puzzles, a cool artifact was in there. The other thing that this company did well that I really, really appreciated that another, the company that I bought immediately after, sorry to be vague about who I'm talking about. I I immediately bought a different company's one was that the realism of the items that I was getting seemed legit. It seemed like, yeah, somebody made these props, but they do look like they could be film ready or they feel, uh, as though they're, they're old. It's not just an eight by 10 or whatever paper size is a letter size paper printed out on a, on a copy machine. And I liked the idea of, Oh, I'm Indiana Jones. Oh, I'm Nicholas Cage. Oh, I'm Brendan Fraser in this instance, right? Or Rachel Weisz, I guess she was more, she was more archaeologist. Um, and so I wanted to do, I wanted to do that kind of stuff and have that open up a package. Oh, what is this? Dig in. What is this thing? This, this has power and energy behind it because it is real. Um, and that's how PPI came into existence. Why did you choose to produce a, a premium experience, Dan? What goes into the development of a game with so many finer elements? It's a good question, and I, I think that it's weird, maybe the, maybe the answer. Um, if I was smart, I would have done a subscription service or a lower price point uh, and really been super business savvy with it um, and have this be my full-time gig right now. Um, I, as a person, have a tendency to not follow through on things that I'm not passionate about. So I have an idea for this woodworking project because I think that it would be kind of cool. And so it's like, yeah, so I kind of get like halfway and it sort of just sits there. So something that I'm excited about putting my name on wants to be kind of a complete thing so that I, a, I finish it. Um, and it wants to be the, the ideal game that I could receive. The problem that I run into is budget this item versus that item and how can I source this from vendors because I don't personally have a machine that can do this or I don't have access to these resources or it would just going to be a hell of a lot faster to mass produce uh, or produce to scale with, you know, this guy, whatever it is, um, has that's some setbacks that, that we've run into, but I want to have 
a product that I'm excited about receiving. That's sort of the the bottom line. That's that's what I, I care about most. Um, and after playing some of the games that were underwhelming, it was because I wasn't I wasn't having that that realism experience. Right? Um, you played escape rooms where it's some Ikea furniture and some airline, some luggage locks, right? And I, I'm, I'm not trying to dig on anybody, but it, that's, a, I guess, a trope now. So you've played that game and it's still been fun. You've still had a nice time because you're playing with the, the right people. Um, the puzzles are, are interesting. You're, you're playing an escape room. It's still jovial. But you've also played those games where the production value is crazy high. And you feel transported to another world and that is the goal so one of the mission statements that we that i had when i started was uh as much illusion of reality as possible while still providing an exciting experience uh and we'll circle back to what an exciting experience is but as as much illusion of reality as possible which is really interesting because in order to give the illusion of reality, sometimes I've been able to do a cheaper option, both in terms of budget, but also just like a thing. So I know that I was just talking about how some I was getting things just on letter uh, from a, like a photocopier. Well, if the story necessitates that, hey, this is a document that came from the fi- a file cabinet and was printed out, then that then that's what it should be, right? If it's just a memo because that is a part of the story, then I think that that's what it should be. But if it's a document that's a hundred years old, or you know, six hundred years old, me printing on papyrus isn't necessarily reasonable, but aging aging a piece of paper is. So that that's sort of the the direction that we went. How how much? tangible real things can we get is it period appropriate on sins of the father which is another game that we have is a really good example the boxes that we use have uh have keys there's a lock and key there's no way that those locks are from 1910 right they they look like they're maybe aged a little bit but of course they're not and in order for me to give you that experience I would have to charge more. And so where am I cutting corners and where can I trust that the audience is going to have suspension of disbelief that, yeah, it looks aged, but I know that it's a modern mechanism. It's fine. Right. Where are we sacrificing uh, quality and experience to keep it affordable um, and keep the, keep the realism there. What can I add that might be a little bit cheaper? That's going to give a little like, Ooh, so what are the packing materials that I'm using? That kind of stuff are things that things that, um, I think about when, when we're putting stuff together and anytime I can come up with, Oh, can I just convey this information on a memo? Great. Type it up real quick and word, print it out. Done. I don't need to worry about that prop and it, and it's legit. So that's something that that's really exciting. Um, so, so sustainability and, and, and price so that it's not a $400 thing because I'm not at the point where 
I'm ordering a thousand pieces at once in bulk because I know that I'm going to go through that in the next six months. Um, that's, that's where a lot of the inspiration for the premium experience, thinking about those budgets and, and keeping the price point as low as possible so that people have an opportunity to experience it is a huge thing. But having that, that realism as part of it, we spoke, um, I don't know what a month ago. Uh, and what we were talking about was the way that the industry defines things. And I don't think of what PPI does as a game for me, a lot, a game is usually a, a competition or, or there's a, a, um, a win condition or, and a lose condition. We kind of have a, just didn't finish condition, but a win lose condition. And usually by two, uh, against two, uh, two opponents, right. Whether it's a computer or not, that's what I think of as a game. This to me is, is more of an experience. You're receiving a thing. The world should be fleshed out. There's a little bit of world building in there. The items should be realistic. And so three weeks from, from after you play and three months and three years, you can think about it and be like, oh man, that those six hours that I sat down, those 20 minutes that it took me to complete the whole game, whatever, whatever it is for you, that time should have transported you somewhere. And so you should have to had it an experience. Uh, so that's a, that's a long way of, of answering your question. How do you think about the balance of puzzles and storytelling in your experiences? There's absolutely times where you're running into stuff that, that hasn't been play tested as well, or, or doesn't, or doesn't work or, or is just shy of, of, of where it should be. And a lot of that's because creators don't want to abandon an idea they're really passionate about. We did a, uh, an online thing during COVID that was just kind of free. And some of it was honestly testing to see if some ideas we had were feasible. The favorite, my favorite puzzle in that did not work the way that I wanted it to. So I'm really excited that it was something that I didn't charge for. And then there was other stuff that I really expected people to uh, struggle with, and they blew by perfectly. So, so that's so that was really exciting. So balancing puzzles and storytelling is taking all of that into account and paring it down so the most people can have the best experience where they're not getting frustrated, they're not thinking it's too easy. Uh, and that's a, that's a real challenge, but they're also engaged and want to do it. So it's not a novel. It's not a novella, but there should be some story that's a, that's a driving force. And the puzzle isn't shoehorned into the story for the sake of having a puzzle, but it actually fits with what's happening and seems like a, a realistic thing that could occur in, in the world that you've created. Um, the doing escape rooms, it's really tough to have an in-depth story because everybody's worried about the time 
and they don't want to sit and read things and have that experience. Ideally, when you get something in the mail, you're going to light some candles, put on the playlist, have, have a beverage and spread it out so that you can take your time and let it wash over you. And you want to make sure that, that you have, you have enough. So when I am balancing story and puzzles, the big things are, are the puzzles organic and do they fit into the world? Is the story something engaging that moves the plot along? So a lot of times I have stuff that doesn't, that's really exciting, but I'm like, it just doesn't work. So it gets thrown into the, um, it gets thrown into the back. And at the end of the day, I want to make the most people happy possible. So there is a little bit of cutting, cutting down things that I'm excited about, or maybe we remove that challenge or add a little bit of this, this story so that it does reach a broader audience. Um, which is a tough, which is a tough thing to deal with. Cause you feel like sometimes you're, you're compromising, um, or selling out or something like that. But if it's a game company that's designed for fun, I think that making people happy should be at the core of it. Can you walk us through how you go about sculpting the narrative of this experience? I've never considered myself to be a writer in terms of the physical act of writing something from start to finish. And it, and this project necessitates that. Um, and so my editor, uh, she has a writing group where like they zoom and are just being supportive of things for, uh, for writers and like, Hey, I've, I've run into this problem. What's the thing. And I was like, can I get in on this? Can I, I just want to show up once. I don't want to, I don't want to, cause I know it's kind of a safe space for people with creative ideas and things like that. And I'm some stranger, but I would like to see if I can get some advice, um, just for things, th things that I run into that are frustrating for me. Um, and the reason they're frustrating for me is because I don't know if they are working. I'll get feedback and people will say, oh yes, this works. Or, oh, I really like this or this, uh, this character. Oh boy, oh boy. And I'm like, okay, great. But I don't have the confidence that that's happening. So I wanted to talk to these folks and the problem that I, I put the challenge that I, I posed to them was the nature of what I'm doing is very disjointed in terms of its storytelling because there is not a narrator. If you pick up a novel, it's first person, it's third person, it's omniscient, it's not whatever it is, right? Um, sometimes it's reliable, sometimes it's, it's unreliable. But for us, there is no narrator. You have to piece things together. You have to piece together what is happening based on these documents and the, these primary documents that you are receiving. So if you are getting, let's say you're getting a journal um, from an archaeologist, right? That's a pretty good trope. You're getting a journal from an archaeologist and you're reading it and you can tell 
that it was written by a game designer who is wanting to make certain that information gets conveyed correctly so that the game works. And the character sort of spells everything out and is like, I'm feeling this way today. And this is what's, this is what's going on. And what a weird thing this was. Hint, hint, wink, wink. For me, it absolutely serves the purpose, but it's not a, it's not an extremely fulfilling narrative that I'm experiencing when I, when I read that. And this is, this has probably been one of the things that I've had the most difficulty with trying to do, because when I hand stuff to, to Carter, uh, I have to highlight, you can't change any of this text because it is integral to the puzzle. Maybe we can adjust some of the grammar, maybe, but oftentimes the way that the hint is being provided is extremely important. And so we need to adjust writing style and things. So you have to look at all of this other ephemera and can't adjust this. So that's a fun little journey that we've gone through that's uh, been full of frustration of like, well, this, this sentence is stupid, Dan. It's like, I know. It's, yeah, it's not a good sentence. But I've play tested it 30 times and no one understands it unless it's phrased like this, right? Um, so the other side of it is the journal entry, right? Or the letter home or the, the note or whatever is written oftentimes by that character for that character. So it's in their voice with their view and their perception of the world, which can make them an unreliable narrator. At just as in terms of storytelling, if they are saying, um, ev- you know, everybody uh, was so happy at the party, it was so amazing. But then you get another uh, letter that says, oh, everybody was putting on airs because of the funeral that happened. And then there was that one person that came in to the party that didn't seem to understand what was going on and was so awkward. Well, now you have the full picture um, because you're you're getting these two pieces of information. So, how am I dealing with just this one character, making sure that the um, uh, the puzzles work and that a cool story is being told? This is the this is the rub. Uh, David Lynch, filmmaker David Lynch, uh, who's one of the kookiest guys in the world. Uh, had a piece of advice for writing and creating that has sort of always stuck with me. He's very into to dreams and transcendental meditation, all this, all this kooky stuff. Um, but he spoke about how the human brain is a magnificent thing and will make connections because it's going to identify patterns and it's going to put two and two together, and it wants to create a whole. So the audience is going to make a connection. So if I present you something that's 80, 90% complete, there's a lot of inferences that you're going to make, and you're going to be forced to make in order to connect everything together. So what that does is now your experience is different from your partner's experience, which is different from 
your neighbor's experience with the same thing because they are putting themselves into it. And there is their own influences and their own backgrounds permeating into, into this story where someone will read something and be like, oh, wow, this is a tragedy. And someone else will say, oh, this is a comedy because of those things. So knowing that and, and feeling really confident that the audience will figure it out. So being able to trust the audience is pretty freeing because it allows this disjointed narrative to exist and work where it can seem a little bit more realistic because in order for the the game aspect of the experience to work, I need to make certain that this happens followed by that followed by this. And those are, those are the, events that happen because of the puzzles that I've come up with and the props or the artifacts that you're receiving. So how am I filling in all of this other stuff? I need to figure out what necessary actions the character has taken to influence their motivations. And when I do that, I kind of let the character write itself. Uh, so we'll talk about runes of runes of Odin very briefly the main character has a bit of a tragic character arc, um, which was not the intention. Uh, and he just kind of, he just started kind of as a guy and I wanted it to be a little bit goofier. Um, but sort of as I was writing and as I was researching the, just researching rune magic, and sort of that idea and listening to the, the, the Viking music, there was this little bit of melancholy that sort of influenced it. Um, and I was envisioning a lot of like overcast days uh, and researching how important weather was to that society um, and how because they only had two seasons, summer and winter. So it was either we can go out and do stuff or it's cold and we're inside. So working on those two ideas and having that influence this character's journey sort of as he was going really gave, really gave me the opportunity to let the character sort of experience and live. And by the time we got, I got to the, the end uh, there's a series of letters that come in the game. Spoiler alert, you're going to get some letters. By the time I got to the last letter, I had sort of figured out where this guy was and what he was doing and what he was all about. And I was like, oh, you know what I want for him? I want him to make this decision and make this reconciliation, which then changes the front, which then now I change the back. And so now he's not getting a right. So it's this, it's this tennis match of, of creativity to fill in these, these holes be, and that all, it all stems from the fact that I can't write exactly what is happening because of the way the information is being delivered. What can we expect from the future of PPI? Do you have other ideas for different games in the future? There's like seven games that I'm working on. Right <laughs> now. Um, and they are all in various stages of existence. So th there's like seven game sort of ideas that, that have 
outlines and, and stuff planned out. And then I over on the other side, I have a bunch of puzzles that are just lying around. And so sort of merging those is something that needs to happen. Some of it is finding the time to do it. I know that everybody's last uh, 12 months has been a little nuts. Um, ours as well. Uh, and because this isn't my full-time gig yet, there is a, a balance of making sure that, you know, I can eat. And one of the problems that I'm running into now is I am getting too excited about too many things. So I have the, a list of, of, four games that I wanted to make from the very beginning and then like 20 other games that have, have come after that. But there's three that I think are doable, but finding a vendor for this particular artifact that, that really ties it together, finding uh, a way to, to make this happen uh, for this game. So narrowing, narrowing it down from seven and getting something out of the notes phase and locking into, oh, this is what I want to do and am going to work on. That has been the challenge. Um, and I will let the listeners in on a little bit of a little bit of a secret. Um, Jared and I uh, have spoken outside of what's being recorded. We've spoken before this. Um, and one of the things that that we were talking about is getting new folks excited about things um, and new players and 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 stuff like that. And I thought he had some really exciting points, and that it's been on my my to do list for a while. So maybe I'll focus it on that. The idea of the Camp Kiowanic company uh, in PPI was to have it be towards a a younger and or beginner audience. Uh, and our game nature camp, uh, was really cool three and a half years ago. Now with all of these other creative people that are raising the industry up and making it better, like jerks that are challenging us to do things better and and look inward to improve ourselves because we want to compete with them because we want to be able to look in the mirror and say, oh yeah, we're we're as good as these other guys. That's one of the reasons that we took Nature Camp off um, because it is now an incomplete game compared to not only our products but a lot of the other really great stuff that a lot of the other creators have. So I'd like to revamp and sort of revisit that, but there's another thing I want to do. So maybe, an, maybe another Camp Kiwanek project is, is uh, on the way. There is a Dungeons and Dragons thing that I'm working on, um, which is a, a slow going thing. But what will happen is I will do some reading and get really nerdy about something and want to dive into that and explore it uh, which is how Runes of Odin happened. Um, I was originally going to do myth uh, and have it be very God-focused. Uh, and then I started doing research on rune casting and magic, uh, and that became a little bit more interesting. Um, so that kind of research really influences things. 
And right now I'm uh, reading about Japanese ghosts, which is one of the most interesting things I've ever read. Uh, and I think that it's so cool. And I don't feel comfortable designing a game around that because it is absolutely not my culture. And the language is beyond me. And I would want to toy with that and and really do it justice. Um, and I don't think that I'm capable of doing that. Um, so maybe, maybe in a, in a, in a couple of years when we can hire on some folk. So what I'm, I don't want to say what I'm actually working on. Cause I don't want one of these other companies to like snag it, but maybe I should also claim something so that nobody else does it because I was going to do something. And then another company that you've interviewed announced they were doing something and they're ahead of me. And I think that it's, it looks cooler than what I was planning. So do I need to stake my claim? Like, I don't know. I'm going to play my cards close to my chest and we'll see, we'll see what's going on. And wrap us up with the question that we ask everybody, what other games or experiences are you currently playing that you think our listeners should check out? Um, if you liked Runes of Odin, there is a board game called TAFL, T-F-L, T-A-F-L. Uh, there's, there's more to the, the name of this thing, but it was essentially chess in Northern Europe before chess got introduced. And it's two sides that have, uh, opposing objectives that are not the same. And there's, uh, a lopsided number of pieces depending on which player you are. Um, and so I got that as a present, uh, and have been playing with that. So it's not puzzle based, but it is Viking and there's some really interesting reading that you can do about it. And so that, that's been fun. If you're excited about more Viking stuff, T-A-F-L uh, is, a, is a great way to go. Um, I just started Field Guide to Memory, which was a, a Kickstarter that um, we backed. And I'm not, I, like, I'm, I think that we're on day 13, but I'm actually on day three uh, just because of, of my schedule. Um, I didn't know what to expect. It's not what I expected, but I think that it's really cool so far. It's uh it goes back to what we were talking about where it's it's not a game, it's not an activity, it's it is an experience. Um and I think that that's pretty interesting. Let's see. Oh, and I have soup which uh which which I know that you you spoke with Angela about. Uh she sent it out. And with uh with Q4 um and then everything I haven't, I didn't have, I haven't had a chance to, to get down to it. So we have it in our calendar, I think for next week, um, where we both have days off where we're going to sit down and, and, and goof off with that. Uh, hopefully, um, I guess those are the big things, um, in my life. I'm, I am reading a lot of research books and then watching WandaVision. We just want to say thank you so much to Dan for coming on to the show today. Thank you, Dan. Um, as I said, we will look forward greatly to having you back on whenever we can review some more of your material. This was fun. I was I yes. I feel like we needed, and this is episode eleven for us to really talk more about narrative. Mm-hmm. We touch on it here and there, but this was the perfect game to talk about that because it was so well executed in and throughout the game. That's going to wrap us up for Puzzling Package Industries. If you want to check out any 
of Dan's games, you can head over to puzzlingpackage.com. Currently has two games available and hopefully some more in the future with what he said in our earlier questions, but you can grab a copy of Runes of Odin over there or his other active game, Sins of the Father, Mm -hmm. which we're excited to review in the future. Yes. For us, continue to listen in. We would love it if you followed us on any of our podcast sites, social media. For social media, that's just at Puzzling Company or Puzzling Company on Facebook. We're looking forward to getting our new and exciting website up. We'll have some more updates about that in the future. But for Jared and Zach, I think that's going to wrap us up today. See you guys. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.